Welcome to another episode of the Die Living Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Evan Paparis. He is a uh, Green Beret officer who is an obstacle course racer and a pretty successful one. Uh, we're going to talk with him about kind of how he got into obstacle course racing and uh, you know his passions in endurance racing. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere. The Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Die Living Podcast. Evan, man, it's good to have you on the podcast. Um, it's not often that we invite officers on here so i want to tip my hat by design yeah <laughs> we, we only i don't blame you <laughs> we only have one working at the company there are many hovering looking for jobs but we uh we understand that your work ethic isn't exactly always up to par but you seem to be a relatively hardworking guy based on all the ribbons and trophies hanging do you behind guys you. need somebody with a degree in international studies from the university of phoenix online <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, you, you got us pretty good. Well, <laughs> hey, man, it's all good. Uh, actually, it seems like, uh, you know, I, as an SF guy, I tend to be really, um, I feel sympathetic to most officers because by the time they've done team time as slash company command time, they have seen the other side and all of them are like, ah, shit, I should have been an NCO, right? Like, this is not exactly what I signed up for. And seeing guys like willingly doing kind of the broadening assignment like you're doing and um, and finding other things that they're passionate about is good. It's not something that NCOs typically do because we're usually so like buried in our work that that's all we understand. So it, it's kind of nice to see you finding other things to do um, so that other people know. Uh, it looks as though you've gotten super into obstacle course racing <laughs> and I don't I don't know what I know after working at GoRuck for four years. I am familiar with like Bone Frog, which is I guess now defunct, right? And no, so ba Battle Frog's defunct. That's it. Bone there Frog is still going. Okay. For the listeners at home, we are watching in his video feed a multicolored galaxy of medals <laughs> and ribbons, denoting all of his accomplishments in the OCR world. I'm I'm assuming it means he's fast. Um, I also I'm I'm curious, man. Like I kind of want to hear your take on what obstacle course racing is throughout. Being a go ruck cadre, I would have random OCR guys come to do a go ruck event just because they'd heard it was fun, and then they, you know they wanted to see what it was like. And invariably, all of them were like, "Wait, you don't win this?" And you're like, "No, man. There's no there's no winners. We all finish together." And they're like, "This is stupid, and I'm never doing another one." <laughs> so, yeah. So I mean, obstacle course racing is races that are typically. You know, the shortest one is about three miles in length. We actually have, now we have ones that are actually one mile in length. And they kind of run the full gamut going all the way up to 24 hours and kind of everything in between. So five mile, eight mile, eight hour, 24 hour. And it's typically along a fixed course. So you don't, there's no need to do navigation. You basically follow the signage and the ribbons. And then you complete typically man-made obstacles and a mix of natural obstacles. So man-made obstacles are monkey bars, rigs, um... The walls, slanted walls, stuff like that. So and it's, then it's a lot of times like there's American, like heavy carries. American Ninja Warrior meets a uh, time trial race of some kind. Yeah. So that's a pretty good example. It's like 
Ninja Warrior with more running and easier obstacles. And out of curiosity, I've always been, I've always wondered, like, the obstacles don't look crazy hard, right? But, like, if you're going to win, it's not about navigating the obstacles rapidly as much as it is being able to move from obstacle to obstacle quickly. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the majority of the sport is spent running. You're running the majority of the time. The thing is, some obstacle series, uh, like the one I race for, Conquer the Gauntlet, has mandatory completion. So if you physically can't get across it, then you can't win. Okay. Um, there, are, there are other series like Spartan where if you fail an obstacle, you can do 30 burpees and keep on running. So theoretically, if you're fast enough, you can fail one or multiple obstacles and still win. Um, typically at the top level, that doesn't happen, though. But it, it makes you kind of balance your strength training and your speed training and kind of find some sort of nice happy medium, which I think has high application to the military. And how did you get into it? So kind of a weird story. Uh, I was working at fifth group and they had some friends over at under armor and we did this program called joint business exchange training where I actually went and worked at under armor for three weeks as a, basically an advisor. Uh, we sent people over to look at their security posture, some NCOs. And then I was one of the officers that went over to like talk leadership with them. And we sent sure the we guy over for like to make sure we didn't rip networks. anybody. Right. No Thanks. one is <laughs> keep, keep people from stealing boxer shorts. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we, we, I go to Under Armour and they uh, at the time were sponsoring an event called World's Toughest Mudder, which is a 24 hour obstacle course race. And because of them, I basically suggested we do like a joint Under Armour military team and get because they sponsored the event, get free entry to the event. So that's kind of how it all started. I got free entry and the team ended up falling apart and I ran by myself and finished 13th in the world, which I was like, well, I've never, I've never done this well in anything. So like I should probably just stop fucking around with all the other sports I've been doing and that, just focus on obstacle. That is, racing. it's a good officer thing to think uh, NCO would be like 13th in the world. I'm going to just stop everything period time to get fat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Donut detail. execute. <laughs> Did you know I once scored five touchdowns in a high school football game? Nib high, f- high school f- football rules. <laughs> is that Polkai? Yeah, Polkai. Well, that's cool, man. I, um, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with the like overall fitness of a lot of the OCR guys I see. Like, I mean, at least aesthetically, it's not the like super skinny uh, like triathletes, but also it's not a it's not exactly like a Jersey Shore festival. So, I mean, it seems like reasonably functional athletes. Uh, strangely, we don't have like we have very minimal crossover. We have a lot of interest in our cons- like our our market. Is a lot of people who are interested in obstacle course races, but we don't like, have a lot of visibility in the obstacle course, uh, the obstacle course racing community. Yeah, well, it's funny too because I think that like a lot of special operations, there's like obstacle courses are famous at least in the civilian world in, for special operations. You know, the nasty Nick and the, the, the Darby, Darby Queen, Queen um, whatever the seals do, which probably involves filleting each other. Yeah, that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think there's a hair gel <laughs> obstacle and then a write yeah. your own book obstacle also. Oh man, that, those are those are hard. Yeah, screenwriting 101 is what weeds out most of I the seals. Feel, I feel bad because we did that Octane commercial where we made fun of seals and uh, like my Facebook account has been inundated with friend requests from seals lately and I'm waiting for the hate mail yet none has come and I don't know if it's because they can't pin a message or if it's like there's a larger effort to like find my house and burn it to the ground. I'm not sure, but like it's, it seems like a super good way to maintain tactical fitness is running obstacle courses. I know that a lot of guys over at the unit 
um, do obstacle courses a whole lot, you know, kit it up because that's, you know, running, jumping, moving over walls, uh, clearing obstacles in your tactical gear is super awesome skill to have, obviously, if you're if you're trying to have that DA mindset. So is that something that you've you've thought about as like how it how it dovetails into your tactical career? Um, I'd say earlier on, that would be true. Kind of as I found it, I was, you know, my team time was basically coming to an end and I was going more and more behind the desk. So it turned into more of just a side hobby thing. Yeah, fair enough. But um, it, it absolutely, you know, it absolutely makes sense and it absolutely transitions over. I mean, there's even races that have you run with a weighted vest on. There's one in the middle of the country called Frontline OCR where you run with like a 15 pound weight vest. Is this and, something um, like as yeah. OCR grows? Is um, it still growing? I guess is a, a really good question. I mean, I feel like there was a bubble five years ago, like where it got huge. Well, it seemed. Well, there was definitely a point where, you know, <laughs> in, <laughs> every time I would turn on Facebook or Instagram, it was like some random person from my middle school, like, you know, hey, check it out. I just did a tough mutter. I did a Spartan race or whatever. And like, okay. Like I, I in, and then you and then you would read things about these like ultra ridiculous endurance races, you know, like death race where you're 48 hours and you are you going to do I mean, are you going to do a death race? I signed up for one and I the the greatest not regret of my adult life was missing the event. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I saw pictures of like, movement, Woo, man, I'm super glad I didn't go to that thing. So I, I'm not going to do a death race. I, f I think those fall into what I call assessment selection type events. So things like go rec selection, um, death race, and there's a bunch of other lesser known, well known ones like Sisu iron and stuff like that, where they basically, you basically show up. It's, there's typically not a winner loser. It's typically go, no go. And, uh, they basically treat you fairly poorly for somewhere between <laughs> eight hours and 72 hours. Yeah. And I feel like based off of selection and some of the experience I've had in the military, I feel like I've checked that block pretty solidly. No, and I, know, I know exactly what you mean, man. It's like <laughs> I, I've ground my skull against the dirt enough times to know that I don't need another gut check to like prove something about myself because that's what a lot of those strike me as is like raw masochism as opposed to like some sort of uh, athletic feat. You know, it's like, can I grind it out for this long and like prove who I am? You know, some of the endurance races, like regular endurance races kind of cross that line at times as well. Although some of them are just like, okay, cool. You know, the human body can do this and not comfortably, but attainably and recover. And some, some of them are like, yeah, you're going to do this race and you're going to spend the next two months like recuperating from it. The big question in my mind is, is there money in it? Right? Like, yeah, that was... So that was what I was going to ask is like, is there a professional element now to obstacle course racing? So it's not real well defined. Like there's no such thing as a pro card. Uh, there are pro teams, teams that call themselves professional and you'll get, I'd say a fair mix of people on that team. So, you know, there are a couple of guys who are no shit making their complete living based off obstacle course racing because they can win enough money. I cannot do that. I'm still in the military. So I guess where I get the majority of my money, but I do, uh, get a lot of free kit and shoes and all all sorts of stuff that how, how severely many, reduces the cost of racing. How many events are you running like a year now? I typically run between 12 and 20 events a year. And my kind of thing is I specialize in ultra distance obstacle course racing. So things like eight hours and 24 hours is like where I get really good. If it's the smaller races, the ones that are like three to 10 miles, I can win prize money if it's uh, below four digits. 
Oh. Once we hit like the thousand dollars, then I I typically get pushed off the podium. <laughs> so the <laughs> right on. So the purse is a big part of it. Like who's going to show up and who who your contenders are going to be. Yeah, and then I'd say for the most of those you know, people don't have green berets. I also, though. I also race like ones with no prize purses because from like a business side perspective, there's value in that, right? Because if I go and win a race, I have my sponsor's logo on top of the podium, and then my sponsor gives me more stuff, right? So like. It's not a zero, like, just because I didn't win any money there doesn't mean I didn't get any benefit from a business perspective. No, that makes sense. Um, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of, you know, it's it's kind of like CrossFit has been really trying to move hard into TV, you know, because that's where all the sponsorship money starts to really kick in. If, is it fair to say CrossFit? Is it fair to say, or should we say Reebok at that point? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it really is Reebok, but, the, you know, they're trying to move into that. And is, is that something you could see happening for obstacle course racing in the future is like people watching it on the Ocho on weekends? <laughs> so we've actually been on TV for a couple of years now. Um, last year was actually the biggest year. There was the Spartan NBC series was on. So there was like five televised races and then Toughest Mudder, had their own televised races, so three or four eight-hour races that were on TV, plus their 24-hour championships, and then Tough Mudder X, which is a one-mile OCR CrossFit hybrid that was on last year, and it's also on this year. I think actually the first episode aired uh, last Saturday. Are those open so they, enrollment events, or like did you have to, did you have to qualify to make those events? So typically it's open enrollment, um, and then for the TMX ones, the ones that were actually aired on TV – you had to qualify to get to the next round. So there's like a couple of different rounds. Okay. So not not that much unlike CrossFit, I would say. So the, other the conceptions that I have about OCR, and you can feel free to shit on these if you wish, but it seems to me like uh, there are, is very personality driven, right? Like I see... I see guys winning these races and they're like, what's my gimmick? Like I'm going to run an OCR race with a wheelbarrow or like I'm going to dress up like a cow, right? Like one of my buddies is the OCR cow. He just shows up to all these events wearing a cow suit and like he does pretty well, but like he's still wearing a cow suit, right? Like you don't have to wear a cow suit to get sponsors, do you? (laughs) You don't. Um, and I actually am not a big fan of using like too strong of a gimmick because then if someone shows up with the same gimmick, like if you dress up as, let's say, Captain America, I and someone shows up as Captain America of, better than you. I was thinking of then, that like, guy. <laughs> now he's the better Captain America and you're like, you're like second tier. So um, you, you don't have to have a gimmick. I mean, I think there, there's the sports kind of weird. So like the top, you know, I'd say Let's say 10% of the sport is focused on the competitive. I'm here to win. I'm here to do well. And even if they're not necessarily like winning or competing for money, they're trying to get a personal best. Um, The other 90% of the sport is just people looking to lose weight, get off the couch, have a good time. And that's where you get a lot of the, you know, we're all dressed like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or whatever their gimmick is. Is there some sort of overarching governing body that kind of like overseas i mean in in so far as to say like this guy is the very best in the world because he has like the most points according to this governing body and you know has won this many events is there anything like that or is it all just kind of like how basketball was back in the 1960s like there's three different leagues and no one who knows who, how good each one would be versus the other yeah so there there's currently like i would i wouldn't say a fight but there's currently people jockeying for a position trying to be that governing body uh, there's, you know, there's different race companies. There's Spartan, there's Tough Mudder. 
um, which are kind of the big ones, the two biggest ones, and they have their own different championship series. And is and the scoring is the scoring different for them? Like, I mean, is it, it's all time oriented, right? Yes, but the courses are different, and we don't have universal obstacles. So, like every Correct. race that you go to will be technically different. Correct, and that's one of the things I think is interesting and great about the sport. Um, but it also is one of the things that makes it not good for something like the Olympics, right? Like yeah, you because can't compare you have to standardize apples. everything. Well, I mean, it, it feels kind of like uh, so. Just as a, as a digression, <clears throat> we may or may not have shit all over our captain on the most recent deployment. It was kind of our job. And uh, we convinced, well, we didn't convince him of anything. He actually vehemently disagreed with us. But we embarked on a six-month journey comparing every sport in the world to NASCAR and how it was basically all NASCAR. Um, OCR <laughs> in many ways to me feels basically like NASCAR and that you have different races and different locations and the times are going to be different. The drivers are the same. The cars are the same, but the conditions are different. Therefore, times are different. And someone who does really well at, you know, Talladega isn't going to do well on like a Grand Prix style race. Sure. Well, is there? Yeah, I guess that. Is there like if which of those two that you you mentioned Spartan or Tough Mudder which is considered right now the more prestigious of them? Is one have like a lot more prize money? Does one have like the better athletes? Is us asking you that question going to get you in trouble? Uh, no, because I race for a third brand that's not one of the most po- like my, the race the brand I race for <laughs> Conquer the Gauntlet is based out of the Midwest. Um, so Spartan and Tough Mudder they go back and forth. They're always jockeying for position. There's a third company that basically just hosts championships and that's it. It's called uh, OC- well the OCR World Championships is the name of their their big race. And that's a third party and what what's cool about them is they bring in obstacles from other race venues and from other countries and then they hold a championship uh, this year they're holding a North American one in August and then a world championship in October in England. And typically I would say the majority of like the hardcore crowd views that as the quote unquote I would say the true champion. And then they, like Spartan has their own world champion, and Tough Mudder has their own world champion. What, what was the, what was the big event that they had in Iceland recently? So that was a Spartan twenty four hour race. Did you go to that Spartan race? I did not. That was actually the only twenty four hour OCR I missed last year. Because I feel like a lot of people went to that. A lot of people I knew at least went to that, and uh, it looked pretty unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, at the edge of the sport, when we start getting into ultra distance, it turns into a mix of physical toughness, mental toughness, and then uh, ability to kind of think outside the box, which is kind of why I feel like I'm pretty good at it. Um, so yeah, it's, and what you got to change, you got to worry about clo- chain, clothing changes and fueling and also, and how much time you spend in the pit, all that, all those factors. It sounds more Barkley marathonish than, than like my typical idea of like, well, I'm going to go run this thing with my friends and then they'll give me a free beer afterwards. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Barkley still uses land navigation, so you're still doing orienteering versus these 24-hour obstacle course races. There's no orienteering. It's just I'm blindly following course markings. Right on. I'm having trouble, like, thinking about, like, these obstacles. You know, I'm not super familiar with it, but, like, is there, there, uh, like, a crux of a lot of these courses where – it's like this super difficult obstacle that they they throw out there just to kind of like cut down the shaft or make it more difficult to pass through or all of them more or less reasonably attainable to like pass. Uh, it's really going to depend on the course. I mean, Spartan, 
likes to do a lot of heavy carries, so carrying a, bu- a bucket of rocks up a ski mountain is pretty unpleasant, and that like breaks people mentally. Yeah. But if if you go to like a mandatory obstacle completion course like Conquer the Gauntlet or Savage Race, they usually put a rig. So it's basically you know trussing with about twenty holds, and they can make it as easy or as hard as they want. So sometimes it'll be mostly rings, which is super easy, and then other times it'll be like nunchucks, uh, ropes, and all sorts of other stuff that make it. Pretty so hard get, to get getting through. into the Ninja Warrior kind of thing where it's like, well, that stuff's hard, yeah. man. Like, I mean, yeah. I know like when we did Nasty Nick, when we came to the Q course, that rig that they had at the end with the like where you had to like swing out over the you kind of a gig pit type deal. Yeah. And the last rung on the rig was like not attached. It was like it was free spinning. So you're doing these like super broad monkey bar movements and you get to the end and you're like, I made it. And you grab the bar and it like spins in your hand and you just like fall face first in the gig pit. They're like, candidate, you failed to negotiate this obstacle. Would you care to try again? And you're like, fuck you, man. That's garbage. Nobody's going to get it. And yes. Yes, I'll do it again. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know. It sounds really cool. Uh, The big thing, I guess, is, you know, we see a lot of crossover in especially like our stamina team for training guys. And I don't necessarily feel like um, I feel like a lot of OCR athletes are coming from a pretty heavy endurance background, but not a strength biased one um, already. So like we would like to market our training programs towards OCR athletes, but it's it's a very insular community. Uh, maybe not shockingly to anybody that's going to listen to this, but like when we looked at advertising within the OCR world, uh, both Spartan and Tough Mudder kind of gave us the like, well, you know, we'd love to have you advertise, but you already need to have product placement in the community. Like people need to know what Softlead is before we're willing to let you buy ad space. So when you reached out to us and Brent was like, hey, check it out. There's this OCR guy that wants a sponsor. Maybe we can use him to get like, you know, actual cachet in the OCR world. I was like, well, this guy's about to get lucky because I hate officers, but it's the right time (laughs) in the right place. (laughs) I mean, that's reaching out to the two biggest companies. So they're in a position of power. So that's probably why uh, they were a little more standoffish. Well, and it's fine. Um, I mean, they've done really well. I mean, the marketing is good. I, I don't, I'm always curious as to, um, I mean, going down the black hole, luckily for you, you're, you're racing for a third, you know, third party, but, um, it seems like Spartan in particular has really looked to what I, what I see as kind of like a multi-level marketing scheme in a lot of ways. Um, I, I know that they would call it mini media channels or, you know, like, you know, different outlets for their product. But I mean, the SGX trainer, all the like, you know, like very ethereal marketing techniques they use where they're like, hey, you know, spend this money and come to a seminar and we'll teach you to be a Spartan trainer. And you're like, well, you're not it's not an, it's not an accredited, um, you know, like program. It's literally just getting a bunch of people together and kind of running a fitness boot camp. And once you go to three of them or whatever, you're a certified SGX coach, which then qualifies you to lead multiple 
training events for other people that want to be it's Spartan not a pyramid. Coaches. It's an upside down when funnel. You, <laughs> <laughs> when you describe it, it does sound more much like a pyramid. <laughs> yeah, it's it, you know, so like I but I sit there and you know, guys get really excited about it, man. Like we talked with some guys that were really into obstacle course racing that were like, yeah, we we want to become SGX coaches. And I'm sitting there, you know, like CrossFit has a very clear um, path to financial success or at least solubility like hey man come get a level one and you can open a gym now you pay us three thousand dollars a year in you know affiliate fees and then you can do whatever you want at your gym there's no oversight there's no direction like you you can use our brand name to market your gym and with spartan it's kind of like um i mean spartan specifically because that's the only one i have any information on it's like it's it's not that straightforward like I don't know how you would run a obstacle course specific gym because it's mostly better done outdoors is that something that's Uh, happening are people building like little mini obstacle courses to train on like for these sorts of events yeah so I mean there's a couple sorry no you're good Uh, I'm getting feedback weird from my mic sorry luckily you're not hearing it I think I'm good (laughs) So there's a couple different um, ways that's happening. One, there, so there's permanent obstacle course facilities that are outside, and they are they host host their own races. Uh, there's a couple of those spread out across the country. There's also Tough Mudder recently announced that they're doing um, Tough Mudder gyms essentially. So you pay it's like franchising. You you pay them a large sum of money, and they help with the marketing and uh, opening the gym and advertising for you. And then on top of that, there's a lot of um, they actually focus more towards the ninja crowd. So it's like Ninja Warrior. The, like the name of the gym is usually like something warrior or ninja something or obstacle something. Okay. Um, those those are spread out all, all over the country and in big cities mostly. Um, I think yeah, there actually there's, might even be one like that in, in here in Durham. Yeah. Like I, a little I'm, ninja I, warrior gym. Yeah. I. It's kind of cool seeing the people that are ad hoc doing it privately like when you look at it you're like man these dudes just brought in a bunch of two by fours and like set up some like yeah you know pipe <laughs> hey look at that i saw a, you know who juju mufu is i do not uh dude he's literally the strongest human being on the planet oh are you talking about that like <laughs> ape looking dude with the long curly yeah, hair he's only he's he's like 30 years old yeah. I, I don't even know if he's 30 he's he's much he looks much older than he is but he's literally the most flexible, strong person I've ever seen. Where he'll like, oh, he looks like an I've action. Is he figure. doing like overhead squats and splits at the same time? Yes, yes. That that's the guy. That guy. Yeah, okay. yep. Juju Mufu, and like he posted a video of him in a in like a ninja warrior training gym the other day, and I was just like, like man, that dude can do everything. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because like the whole culture of it. Like I, I'm obviously like a little bit ignorant of all this, but. You know, I've seen a lot of people. I didn't realize that obstacle course racing was getting as serious as it was. You know, most of the people that I see obstacle course racing are stroller strides. Well, yeah, like like the same people that we'd be doing like a fun run 5K, but they kind of like stepped up a notch as they go do a Spartan race. And it's like a big group of people and they all kind of do it together and they might run it at the same pace together and wait for each other at the obstacles and stuff like that. This combines my love of. 50 shades of gray being electrocuted with my love of 5k fun runs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of mask is well, it, you know, it adds that like sense of accomplishment that you definitely don't get doing the turkey trot or whatever. Electrocute me, Brian. And 
So it seems like there's just such a huge, uh, there's a huge divide, you know, in the, in the people that are doing it, you've got the really serious athletes and then you've got the kind I, of, I'm assuming that you competitively ran like marathons or triathlons before this, right? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't super good, but uh, my PR is under three hours for a marathon. Yeah. And that I did, I impressive. did a couple of Ironmans. Yeah, that's very impressive. Yeah, it's very. <laughs> Brian and I are both, you know, like in our in our heart, we wish we would do something like that. Yeah, but a sprint try sounds much more manageable. I like to get on my bike and feel super fast until I have to compare my ride times with other riders on Strava and realize that I am in the bottom quartile of all bike riders for that section, which that, that are serious <laughs> enough to be on Strava. I mean, you, you can. Mean, Brian says that to stroke my ego, but I realize that like many soccer moms are on Strava and I am not beating all of them. (laughs) You you need more spandex. That's the key. I have a lot covered in spandex. I try, man. I I went down that road. I was like, surely this will make me faster. And it it didn't. You need lighter pedals. (laughs) So I mean, the the population you're talking about, that's what OCR is built upon, right? Because these courses are not profitable enough where you can just have a small elite field and make money. So really like without that 90% of the population just going out there to have a good time and walk the majority of the course, frankly, the, these races wouldn't exist, period. No, that's so. awesome. And I mean, I'm really glad that like they are as popular as they are. I know they wouldn't be sustainable if there wasn't like a general population that were interested in it. Um, I think that the real question is like, how do you guys who are really, who are good, um, segue that into something that becomes financially sustainable, right? Because I mean, if everybody in the OCR community is paying for it out of pocket, um, like the people who are really good are going to find other races to race that pay just because a hobby. I mean, unless you're most people that are really into endurance sports don't have fuck you money, so they can't just be like, well, I'm going to just travel wherever I want and do whatever I want. If they did, they'd be auto racing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Or 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 dressage. Or yeah, I, I would have a P fifty one Delta in my fly in hangar. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it's um, I I basically so at least my model, at least the way I've figured it out is, you know, I look at other sports and I kind of steal their ideas. So specifically, uh, since I'm a like an endurance guy, I looked at Dean Karnazes, ultra marathon man, yeah. did 50 states, 50 marathons, 50 days, right? Um, do you see he Ashley, just, Ashley Horner's going to do that now? Do you see? Did you see that? I did not see that. She's going to do 50 uh, Iron, Man, Iron tries. Man tries in 50 days. What's so the, James Lawrence did that uh, a couple years ago. What the is Iron the cowboy? What, what is the over and under on how many Ashley is actually going to complete before she gets rabdo? <laughs> Well, the Iron Cowboy guy did it, and I was completely shocked because just the logistics of moving from state to state and racing for that long is like astronomical. It's, well, dude, it's I, impressive. I don't, first of all, I don't think I could complete that race in 24 hours, so I'm already failing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, like, I, I think it's it's kind of cool like that you're doing the um, I mean, do it. Do people categorize these long um, obstacle races as ultra races so yes uh i do and i've actually i wrote a book called mud run guides ultra ocr bible that's specifically like focused on ultra distance obstacle course racing when we came when we brought you on this podcast we did not know you were a published author so that is impressive i've got, I've got two <laughs> books actually uh, oh. the 
one of them is published by like an actual publisher and it's you can buy it off like Barnes and Nobles or Amazon or if my website I prefer because I get a better cut of the profit. But the second book I have is self-published um, because Ultra OCR is a little more of a niche market. So basically the publishers didn't want it and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sell, a, you know, thousands of copies of that. How, how many, I mean, so I get that it's an hour thing, but I mean, threshold wise, like how many miles are you running? Like total. I mean, what what the, race are we talking here? I mean, so you're saying you do eight to twenty four hour ones, right? So yep. like, kind of what's the what's the like the range? So for eight hours, um, for the big series, toughest mutter, I typically run between forty and forty five miles in eight hours and complete I don't know like three hundred obstacles, and that is that puts me in. I finished as high as sixth place and as low as fifteenth place in these six events I've done. And then for 24 hours, a lot of it depends on the course. So a lot of the courses with more or harder obstacles or rougher terrain, I'll typically top out around 55 to 65 miles in 24 hours. Uh, For World's Toughest Mudder, the championship that was in Vegas for the last four years, uh, my PR is 90 miles and my low is 70. What time time of year did they do that in Vegas? So for Vegas, during the day, you can actually run, I run shirtless and basically just have spandex on, like spandex shorts and socks. And then what's crazy is because of the temperature variation and the amount of times you're getting wet at these obstacles, you actually put on a wetsuit once the sun sets. So you actually running a lot of it in a wetsuit, which is Jesus. pretty uh, awesome on the no, chafing. I, I'm sure that sucks balls, dude. That's awful. Yeah. So how do you train for this? So- Oh, so so it's a uh, so these these events are to time and like so the distance that you cover that's like whoever goes the farthest is the winner sort of deal. Yep, yep. So I, I again with with like world's toughest mutter. Um, I did the team event last year, so we actually came in second. But the my highest individual placement is eighth, uh, and the guy who wins uh, Ryan Atkins typically gets between. Uh, 95 and 110 miles. When you say the guy who wins, is he like the rich froning of the ultra OCR world? Like no one beats him. If he shows up, everybody's like, well, who's fighting for second place? Pretty much. He's undefeated in, in obstacle races eight hours or longer. He's undefeated Jesus. for the last, since 2013 <laughs> uh, was his first ultra wow, OCR. Wow. How old is He's he? He's insane. I want to say I should know this because I actually just interviewed him for my book. Um, I think he's like 30. Wow. So he's a pretty young guy. Yeah. He used to be like a professional unicyclist. So random. (laughs) I I didn't Um, know that was a a profession. I thought that you had to dress up like a mime for that, you know, like way to way to flip flop between like (laughs) esoteric sports, you know? So, I mean, and then, yeah, you know, he does obviously, obviously a lot of ultra running and uh, he's just, he's, he's amazing. And there's actually, uh, there's another SF guy that's involved in this. He actually won the Spartan World Championship a couple years ago, Robert Killian. Wow. National Guard guy, SF. Where is he out of? Um, Colorado, I want to say he's currently living at. Right on. Um, and so, I mean, I guess to go back to the question I asked, like, uh, how are you? I mean, I'm assuming that there's a pretty broad spectrum of how people are training for this, but I mean, how are you training? So I, I typically do, uh, I run five, usually five days a week, sometimes six. Uh, I usually do a long run in the morning. So around 10 miles or semi long, I at around 10 miles in the evening. I do my strength training, which is mostly with weights. Um, I still use a lot of weights cause I think it helps build that stronger muscle tone and the amount of time I have, I think it crams more training into a less amount of time. 
And then on the weekends, I typically do back-to-back long runs. So I'll do like a somewhere 15 to 20 miles on Saturday and then repeat the same thing on Sunday. So you get a lot of the physiological adaptations of running an ultra distance without the mind-numbing boringness and damage to your body of slogging out, you know, 35 30 miles, miles in yeah. one day. Are you doing, I mean, are so, you married with children? I have, I am married. I have a very understanding wife and a three-year-old daughter. Good yeah. Lord. That's, I'm filing this under, I hate my kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Behind every man, there's a very understanding woman. I'm impressed, man. Um, that's, I mean, I, I can't say a lot. I feel like entrepreneur startups are our ultra marathon and Brian and I's wives are probably more than their fair share of understanding as well. Uh, but all of that to be said, like, I love when you guys are like, oh, yeah, man, you know, a moderately long run, 10 miles, man, fuck you. I haven't run <laughs> 10 miles since I had to, yeah. uh, you know. I don't think I've ever willingly run that distance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you're not doing like, uh, you're not doing short interval training. Like, you're not doing like 12 by 800s or anything to so, build race pace. So it depends on the, what races I have coming up. Typically, during the year or during the off season, I'll end up doing a lot more speed training and I'll do two interval sessions a week. So one like VO2 max focus. So anywhere between 200 meters and 1200 meters in length repeats. And then the second interval training will be uh, lactic threshold. So a little more like one mile to two mile repeats. And, um, how and I, go th- I go through phases again, where if I have a lot of short races coming up, I'll do a lot more of that training. And then when I end up doing, when these ultra races start kind of start stacking up, I spend a lot of time, frankly, recovering and then yeah. just kind of riding my fitness out, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I mean, you. you have a good base. So, like, at that point, recovery is more important anyway, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's pretty interesting, man. I, it blows my mind. I mean, what, what's, the, what's the average distance between obstacles on these things? Uh, it also is going to depend on the race series. So, we'll go with uh, World's Toughest Mudder. So, the, they typically have about 20 obstacles over five miles. And a lot of times, those are, those are backloaded. To prevent built to prevent uh, lines at the obstacles. So the first mile will only have like one or two obstacles, and then as you get closer and closer to the end of the course, the obstacles get more and more dense. Just so to, you're doing again, like the world's toughest mudder. You're doing laps. You're doing the same twenty obstacles over and over and over again. That's correct. Are there like ones that you hate? Like that you're like, man, fuck this thing. It's coming up again. Uh, d- yeah, sometimes a lot of times. Basically, the big worry ones are typically the grip strength ones where you're hanging from your hands. Yeah. Because after, you know, about 18 hours, your your grip's pretty shot, and then you have a wetsuit on, so you're you're heavier than normal, and then sometimes the obstacle's wet, so it's harder than normal. Um, but then the only ones that kind of, like, really suck are the ones where you have to low crawl under stuff, and you're just, at that point, you have a lot of, like, scrapes and bruises, and you're just kind of tired of being face down in the mud. Yeah, weird. I can't even imagine what that's like. um yeah that's cool man i'm i mean hats off uh because i don't see a lot of that as fun at all i'm like yeah you know like we spent years really doing strength only like you know the team guy thing man where it's like we all went in the gym and we tried to look like bobby cinco like (laughs) that was it right how do you get like first heart and cinco gets lots of steroids and curls vitamin t baby (laughs) (laughs) and then like i hit like 35 and i realized that like my body fat percentage wasn't coming down and that a lot of younger dudes were really like i mean hell i think probably going to slc really where you had to run around dudes who liked still liked running a lot of 10th group dudes and you're like ah fuck 
I really should start doing this again. So then, you know, you run more, you bike more, and you kind of find and, you know, you find cardio again and you enjoy it, but you don't enjoy it so much that you think a hundred mile event is like something you want to do. Well, I imagine, I imagine the, the obstacle course racing has really gotten the bug in a lot of people though. A lot of the 90% that you talked about, like everybody kind of s- starts there, I, I suppose. Do you see a lot of that? Like people like that are kind of just out of shape and go do one and then decide to like, Oh man, this is really, this really gets my gears going. So I think I'm going to get serious and start training and doing these. Yeah, you'll see a ton of people with just huge dramatic weight loss stories from, I mean, there are even guys who are elites who, you know, like I lost 100 pounds and now I'm like an elite obstacle course racer. No shit. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty crazy. And then even at at the far end of the spectrum, uh, the ultra distance stuff where I like to operate, the you'll also see a wide range of people there too, which is just kind of weird, right? Because like who signs up for a 24-hour race? Um, the answer is about 1,600 people in Vegas every year. <laughs> and you'll see people who are severely overweight and they'll walk like two laps, um, which I think I think your money could be better spent elsewhere, but I mean, they good want on two you laps being in 24 hours though, right? Like they're still, like they're there the whole 24? So, some, I mean, some of them do a couple laps and then quit. Some of them are out there slogging it all night long. So you'll, you'll literally get the entire spectrum of humanity out there and I'm, um, I'm a pretty petty person those kind of people would really fuel me i'd be like man i've lapped you 10 times i am something <laughs> special <laughs> yep. so and, and there's plenty of laps. people who go out there too and like they'll do they'll do a couple laps they'll stop they'll they'll sit down and eat um talk to their family go back out for a couple more laps stop take a nap go back out for a couple more laps and they do that for 24 hours um, so the I'm, the competitive guys don't stop. Yeah, I mean, though. those guys, those people are not like in the 60 to 100 mile range. No. Right? So the, I'd say the, the mark, like at 50 miles, you get like a different colored bib. You can see some of the colored bibs hanging on my wall behind me. Got it. Um, at 50 miles, you get a different colored bib. So that's what most people's goal is going in the, the 50 mile bib. Oh, they're trying to pick up a 50 mile bib. Okay, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, do you do, so like, obviously you're doing a ton of events, right? And I'm assuming a lot of them are really focused on like you're chasing sponsorships now. Like you're making this kind of like, I mean, this is a professional thing for you. Yeah. Uh, do you do so. events for fun? Like I know that the, the, uh, what is it? Fuega y agua or whatever the fire and water thing in Nicaragua mm-hmm. that is in Nicaragua, right? Yep, that's correct. Yeah, I see a lot of people do that that are that I know are are straight up masochists and <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, it was a great time." Do you do things like that too? Um, I stick to ultra distance obstacle course racing specifically. So like those endurance go no go, you know, test your grit stuff. I, I don't do that. So you okay. don't do any uh, it's, you don't it's do gotta, any it's got to have a ranking at the end for me. Okay. Right on. Do you do any of the more traditional ultra distance type races or have you done those in the past at the Western States or anything like that? No. I mean, I have done a 100-mile uh, trail run before. I've done a couple of 50 one or two 50s. I've done a 40. I've done a couple of 50Ks, but now I mostly use them for training. Uh, so I'm sponsored by Hammer Nutrition and they sponsor a bunch of races. And because they sponsor a bunch of races, I can get into those and Dude, basically I, run those as a training fit, run. The fittest man that that Brian and I have ever known was fueled by Hammer Gel. Dude, yeah. Will That's Summers. so good. That stuff is amazing. 
<laughs> Will Summers, like when we were in Sopsy, I used to laugh because he he would talk about going to CAG selection. He'd be like, yeah, man, I showed up. I did the high stepper. They knew I was on hammer gel. <laughs> I, <laughs> hammer gel was the first ever supplement product that I understood worked like doing a, you know, you take like the, you know, certain nutritional products and stuff like that and or things that are good recovery tools and things that are good for you nutritionally to, to help yourself get better, but you don't see the results immediately. But when you're on a ruck march or something like that, you're on a long run and you're starting to, the gas is tank is starting to get empty and you pop a hammer gel or two down your gullet, like three or four minutes later, it's like, you know, video game man, power power up. Yeah, it's like you freaking found a mushroom and you got big again. Um, stuff's amazing. Yeah, now that's not that's not the kind of mushroom I want to find. Well, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. No, I definitely the hammer gel. Not not to miss an opportunity to plug endure, but hammer gel was certainly a one of our our formative supplements. Well, that was that, that was just the first supplement I ever took. Now, now, there's certainly products out there that I like just as just as good. And foot although st- hammer still foot, foot stomp softly endure. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. like, let's turn this into a blatant shill session for our own products. <laughs> so have you tried the softly products? Oh, man. No, that's cool. Uh, also, you must be a serious athlete if you're sponsored by Hammer because if Will Summers would take it. Yeah, there is, is there, are, what, what other sponsorships are the, the lucrative ones in that, in that space? Uh, are we talking endurance supplements or just OCR in general? No, just OCR in general. I mean, so the, the it's going to really vary um, based off level. Like, I mean, Hammer Nutrition has athletes that are top level. I mean, the guy who won Badwater like two years in a row was sponsored by Hammer Nutrition, uh, Pete Kulstelnik from Nebraska. Um, and then they also have people that are more like ambassadors for their, for their product. Um, yeah, so people sure. who just go out and race local. Uh, but for OCR... The, I mean, so the Spartan pro team, Spartan has a team that they sponsor essentially. Um, a lot of people want entries, to get on, right? Say, That's like free, free match fees or like whatever they call race fees. Or those yeah, guys I mean, pay I a salary to race. I don't know all the, I don't know all the details, but from what I understand, it's a bunch of free races. And then I think they cover your travel and hotels for the big races. Oh, that's right. Um, and then. There's the the model kind of the team I'm on is called Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team, and what we have is you know we get we get benefits through our race series, which holds about six to nine races a year, and then we actually have on the back of our jerseys we have supporting sponsors, so we have we get more product and uh, other benefits from these other sponsors, these other companies that help support and con- racing. Conquer the Gauntlet has aligned those sponsors out for you. You don't have to chase them yourself. Um, that's what they did initially. And then, uh, this past year I took over as like their team captain. So I do a lot of the backside work for that. Yeah. Oh, cool. Right on. Yeah, very so, cool. But it helps out. Like it, it benefits, you know, the, we have 13 people on the team. So it benefits the 13 people on the team. And what's really nice about it is, you know, you don't, if you're having an off couple of weeks or you're, you're busy, you don't have to like stay on your social media game or whatever you want to call it, because there's 12 other people to kind of backfill you. So what like it, we're always putting out content on our Facebook page and videos and so if, and stuff if you're like somebody that. that's into obstacle course racing and they're talking to you know Evan Papyrus did I pronounce your name right that was good yeah Papyrus we'll, we'll go with that <laughs> if we're talking to Evan and we're saying like hey um, <clears throat> what what would you say 
is a good way to move from like, hey, man, I'm really into OCRs and I would like to pursue this as like a, a full time pursuit. Like what are things that people should be doing to start catching attention of sponsors and making it more of like a, a an actual pursuit, not just a hobby winning, dude. We yeah, know that, I mean, we, so we the, know that's wrong. <laughs> we know winning isn't win. I mean, Evan is the model for like, okay, I won. Justin yeah, <laughs> I mean, so there's so to go full, like a hundred percent full time. And this is the only thing you do. You basically have to be the best in the world. So there's, like I said, there's probably about five people in the world who are currently doing that. Um, so that, I mean, that is all about really all about winning. You got to go to the big races and you got to win big because that's where the big prize money is. But let's say you're a little more like the major, the more majority of the people at the kind of the upper level and you're just looking to reduce race costs yeah. to kind of drop to drop that. I'm a um, mild mannered fr- accountant who can run a sub eight minute mile indefinitely. <laughs> and my wife doesn't like that. I spend a lot of her uh, Kate Spade budget on obstacle course races. How do I convince her that she doesn't want to see me on the weekends? <laughs> I mean, so I say the first thing still is results, right? Like you need to be, you need to be pretty good or at least draw enough attention that, you know, people are, people want to know what you're doing to train and what you're doing to win. Uh, I'd say the second thing you need to do is have some sort of social media presence. So whether that be Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever, whatever you're doing, some sort of following on there. And what's the again, magic number there, right? Like, you know, you and I know, like, it's funny when you first came to us, I was like, oh man, Evan doesn't actually have that many followers on Instagram, which like (laughs) we're looking for big followings. Right. And like how, I mean, how are you're, you win races and like, obviously the quiet professional mantra of your profession is evident in your social media presence where it's like, I let the winning speak for itself. I'm not out there shilling, showing people my boobs. As opposed to Doug, the game show host. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you don't you don't organically build an 8,000 in person Instagram following by, uh, you know, hiding these jubblies. Well, fair <laughs> Yep. It's still small. <laughs> is, is that the, uh, I mean, what, what is, what would you recommend for people that are, that are, Getting into it, they've done a couple of the races, and now they want to get a little bit more serious about it. Would that? Would you tell them to pick a series and start doing that series like uh, <clears throat> exclusively, or go do a bunch of different races with a different series to see what they like the best? Or and what would you recommend in that regard? I mean, if you're looking to be a better athlete, I always recommend doing multiple series because there are ones that are going to test you. You know, your grit, other ones are going to test your endurance, other ones are going to test your speed, other ones are going to test your obstacle proficiency. So if you're looking to be a better athlete, I would sign up for a, a lot of bunch of different ones. If you're looking to get sponsorship for a specific company, obviously drawing their attention is the better call. So going to those race series and doing well at those race series is the better call. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, if you're looking to have fun, I, again, I would kind of do a little bit of everything. So posting nudes on your Instagram account is, is an approved method. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's all that's worked for me. If if you're a girl, it's probably going to work a little better than most of the guys. But yeah, my wife, my wife is always like, she's always like, Oh my God, all these girls must harass you. I'm like, actually all I get is like after 1am messages from dudes. They're like, how do you have a hot wife with such a mustache? I'm like, uh, well, trust me, it's not the mustache that does it. Yeah. You manage your social media a little bit differently than most people. <laughs> I'm going to attract all the lonely dudes. 
Well, so what's 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 next for you? Like, what are you looking at in the next couple of years? Like, do you have any big goals in OCR that you're trying to hit? Yeah, so my big event actually is coming in August. Uh, it's August 24th through 26th. It's called Endure the Gauntlet. So the longest obstacle course race that I know of, and I'm pretty sure in existence, is 24 hours long. So I'm going to do a 48 hour long charity run obstacle course event. So just, the, just uh, singleton, or is there going to be other people doing it with you? So uh, there's other people. So the weekend of there's a race called Conquer the Gauntlet in Tulsa. So the weekend of that event, uh, 25th and 26th, basically on Friday morning, I'm going to start multi-lapping and uh, I'm not going to stop until Sunday. And people can essentially sign up and run a lap or run multiple laps with me to kind of pace me and prevent me from wanting to kill myself uh, over the course of the 48 hours. And the whole event is to raise money for the charity Folds of Honor. Folds of Honor gives scholarship money to children whose parents were wounded or killed in action. So it's a complete, like 100% of your registration goes directly to charity. Like I'm not taking anything. I'm fundraising for like the, we're giving out t-shirts and some uh, belt buckles as finisher prizes. And then some of the sponsors that are supporting the event, we're giving out again, free product from them. So uh, that'll help fundraise for some of the backside support stuff. But goal is to get a couple thousand dollars over to the scholarship. Oh, awesome. Well, I mean, I think that you could find productive ways to spend those 48 hours that would net more than $2,000. <laughs> but he likes to run. I, it's more than $2,000. We're, uh, we've got $2,000 already, and the month of the event is a month away. Maybe so. we should promote this by me going and standing on the street corner and turning tricks and you running for 48 hours, and we'll see who makes more money. This isn't Doctors Without Borders. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well so, played, I mean, Brian. Obviously, well besides played. besides the charity event, it's also like a personal challenge to me. And then, um, you know, so it's part of the whole garnering What's, attention. I mean, obviously, that, it's, it's a super new sport, right? I don't know how old you are, but like, what is the what is the runoff? Like, what what seems to be the guy's peak age wise? Like, how much longer do you think you have good years in the sport to maintain that elite level? Um, it's hard to say because I think the sport's still so new that every year there's more and more people coming in. So I keep waiting for all these runners to realize that there's garbage money in running and that if they just trained upper body like a couple times a week, they could come over here and just start crushing it. So I keep waiting to just get completely pushed out the backside of the sport. It's exactly but, what um, happened in the UFC, right? Like all these old like street brawlers were in the UFC for the first like five years. And then all the young guys that were like second tier boxers realized that if they got their black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, they could go win like huge prize money. <laughs> It's like, but oh, I mean, I'll man. say, you know, with endurance sports, like 30 to 35 seems to be uh, a lot of the peak times for a lot of a lot of age groups. Um, I'm 36 right now. And I mean, they're the guys who won the Spartan World Championship the last two years in a row. Uh, we're both 39. So, wow. Look at how much time you have left. All the time. Hey, I will yeah. say this. Uh, your timing was impeccable, and I would say that our listeners probably are going to hear from you again. Um, we're going to go, we'll pimp this uh, through our channels, and people will get to listen to us being fools and you being a professional. Um, <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> um, well, me being a fool and you and Brian being professionals. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you guys check out the, uh, the, the event. And if anybody's in the area, go check it out. Yeah, we'll definitely make an effort to promote it and kind of get some more eyes on it. I know that um, we we would be interested in more obstacle course racers following our training programs. And I know that we have a pretty, uh, 
I think rabid is the right word fan base that will be uh, be pretty supportive of you and your effort, especially if you throw a spade on the back of that jersey. Well, it's pretty cool. Your green beret, you know? yeah. And I mean, all of those other guys that won, well, except for one, uh, none of them have green berets, so you can always fall back on that. That is true. <laughs> is that are you trying that to are true. you trying to loop back to to group after this command or after this? No, duty? I mean, uh, I don't think I rubbed the rubbed the right uh, elbows. You were not nice going to say you were not going to say elbows. You were about to negate was, all <laughs> of our professional kudos. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, when I was there last, so um, I also uh, are we still is this still part of the podcast or is oh, this dude? We, I love when you start talking about things that are like professionally oriented, like so we can tag General Tovo and be no, like, no, right. hey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I purposely chose a career path um, that would k- keep me doing operational things longer. Uh, but not off the off the command track. Yeah, fair um, enough. Yeah, right on, man. That's, I mean, that's the 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 logical way to do it. Sometimes a friend of mine recently resigned his commission and came back into the Q course as a E five uh, eighteen Charlie to just stay operational. So those are also the things that your path. wife very rarely understands. Oh, like you yeah. did. Yeah, you did what? <laughs> I consider I consider that heavily for a while, and I had I just started doing the math, and then. Uh, I just couldn't. Um, hey, man. I couldn't like look look my wife in the eye and do that we, to her. When I came into the when I came into SF in two thousand and five, there was a dude in my National Guard company who was class of ninety six from West Point and was still a captain and was going through the Q course. And this dude stayed a captain until two thousand and. 15 or 2016 when they finally he was jumping state to state avoiding promotion like he was just doing interstate transfers anytime somebody was like we're going to promote you he's like no man i'm ist and you can start that process again next year in alabama and like he finally got strong-armed into getting promoted to major after like like 16 years as a captain and uh he resigned his commission and went to warrant officer school and now he's like the xo on a team at 40 something years old and like he's just like man people can't twist my arm into doing anything i don't want and i'm like you sir are the master my way So, yeah, man. Well, congratulations on doing what you like and having a solid support network. And we'll look forward to kind of talking to you more as we move forward. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me.